Welcome to the FE Research Podcast, a podcast that aims to showcase the practitioner inquiry, scholarship and research being carried out within further education. When I started networking, I started inviting other colleagues, external colleagues to come and talk. And I'm really happy to say it's got a bit of a reputation now. It's supportive. People can try ideas out. You do that fail and fix creative thinking thing across all areas. And we don't record it so that nobody feels any pressure at all, really. So it's a wonderful thing. Welcome to FE Research Podcast. My name is Joe Fletcher-Saxon and my partner in crime is... It's Alistair Smith. Hello, Joe. How are you? I'm good. I'm thinking, um, you know, wondering about the time that this uh, podcast might go out. Almost spring might be in the air. Almost. It might be, you know, just in our sights, do you think? Yeah, there's something magical about when you leave work and it's not just light, but it, it's lighter. It feels nice, doesn't it, when you leave? Yes. Yes, that's what we need. Um, okay, well, um, let me introduce our guest for this evening or this podcast. It is Kerry Heathcote, Assistant Principal at Edinburgh College, but also in the final throes, what we often call the write-up time or the write-up year of her PhD. So welcome to the podcast, Kerry. How are you? Good evening. I'm fine, thank you. How are you doing? Oh, yeah, well, you know. Surviving and thriving. Let's say that we're surviving and thriving. Right. Well, look, um, I'm going to hand over to Alistair, who's going to, um, well, put you through your paces with the first set of questions. All right. Thank you, Joe. Now, I know in our little uh, kind of pre pre chat, Kerry, um, you've got plenty going on. So tell us a little bit about mm -hmm. yourself and your roles. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Alistair. Uh, so my role at Edinburgh College is indeed, as Joe says, assistant principal and um, assistant principal quality and improvement. Um, so I have four colleagues who are assistant principal curriculum and a colleague who's assistant principal student experience. Um, and the six of us work as a team across um, four campuses of Edinburgh College, 23 outreach centres um, and around 25,000 students each academic session. So a veritable size of college. Um, and my role specifically, uh, as the name suggests, is focused on um, quality of learning and teaching and the quality enhancement team. We, we offer teacher education. Um, and currently we're doing that in a very, um, some people don't like the word innovative, but that's the word the team do like to use. Um, we've recently started writing our own qualifications, um, credit rating them up here in Scotland by the uh, Scottish Credit and Qualification Framework Partnership and are using um, the opportunity to do that to teach and train teachers how to teach creative and critical thinking at postgraduate level. So that's a real key driver for us at the moment. Um, another part of the role, I have management information systems, um, and I'll come and talk to you about my PhD later. But that team has played a pivotal role in terms of inspiring the PhD in the first place. And an external project, and I'm fortunate enough to 
to have line management of the colleague who oversees that across the region is the data-driven innovation. So that city-region deal, uh, my line manager, who's one of the vice principals, is on the, um, the sort of scrutiny governance panel of the city-region deal. And they secured a significant pot of funding to drive forward data science across, um, across colleges and across the region. So there's a huge bit of partnership working going on there. Um, and the latest project, we've written an eSports for the player qualification, which we've credit rated and are going to get on the Insight tool so it can be offered for tariff points in schools across Scotland. Uh, we've, we're just about to write a data science in eSports qualification so that we can offer that to um, everyone from, from 13 to 113. Kerry, uh, Kerry, are you actually four people? I mean, this is... <laughs> I've never, ever heard such an introduction to yourself. That is incredible. Wow. So it, it's, a, it's a large remit, but actually, Joe, it has its advantages because the, the, the opportunity for projects and to spot things um, to, to work on to improve the quality... Of, of the experience for students and indeed, indeed colleagues across the college. It, it offers a lot of opportunity. What I will say to finish this section is that it is a wonderful um, position to be in for somebody with a low boredom threshold. <laughs> now, I'll just, I'll leave that there. Quite clearly, Kerry, you haven't got very much on, so you thought you'd do a PhD as well, right? So how on earth did this come about? <laughs> A long time ago, I'm 52 and a half now, the half's important, and it's important because I am a huge advocate of lifelong learning, and I won't go into my biographical history of that right now, but what I will say is I've known since I was 13 that I wanted to do a PhD when I got older. I'm now much older, um, and in fact was 49 when I started the PhD. And that's absolutely fine. And how I came to realise now's the time and this is what I want to do was, in fact, quite a mundane reason, but it, in, it on the face of it. And it was when I started to analyse, as part of my remit, pre-interview, in fact, the performance indicators across the Scottish sector, I realised that and this is a totally neutral statement, that they had remained very uh, similar for 16 to 19 full-time further education students for a significant period of time. They hadn't fluctuated very far up nor down. So that was the first thing that piqued my interest. And then fast forward five months in post, and I thought, oh, I have a plan. And my plan is to look at all the things that we already have in place that are national measures, that are parameters we report on, the funding mechanisms, the processes and protocols in college. And when I arrived, the college already had a, a really nicely mature reports pathway. So the management information systems team and other teams involved and my, my line manager had developed this reports pathway 
uh, since the three colleges merged in 2013-14. So I thought I'd I want to see if there's anything I can contribute to helping improve the outcomes for 16 to 19 full-time FE students specifically. And having pulled a proposal together, I realised actually I might be a, I might be onto something here. I might be able to. So it's learning analytics. I decided to look at. So I started off with 196 different measures that we report, and I, once my proposal had been accepted, started pulling my ethics um, panel submission together. And at Napier, Edinburgh Napier University, they asked me if I would mind, as I was the first fully quantitative um, PhD post the general uh, data protection regulation in May 2018, if I, they would allow me to be a sort of guinea pig for a very robust ethics um, committee panel scrutiny. So nine months the process took for the uh, the the ethics approval for that, but but I anticipated it taking quite a long time. So yes, everyone said yes, this is a great idea. So in January 2019, I, I started to go um, at full throttle with the whole thing. So it's learning analytics, and I'm investigating or have investigated the validity of the effective use of all of the learning analytics so anything directly related to learning teaching and student outcomes so resulting to improve retention and attainment both in year and predicting so one of the emerging themes is using the things that I've learned to predict the likelihood of specific cohorts of students to achieve the following year without even knowing who's enrolled on the basis of five years previous data intelligence. So the idea behind it is that the I'm, I'm in um, writing up mode currently, so I'm pulling all these threads together. I have 17 recommendations, but in a nutshell, so I you know, I, I don't labour the points too much, is that ultimately building on the learning analytics, informing retention and attainment both in year so we can focus support where it's needed on a weekly, monthly, uh, semester basis, however we choose to plan that, and in advance. So it will do those two things and equally, when the predictive analytics business tool goes to version seven, it's all currently on version six, it will then be able to measure the efficacy of any individual intervention. So take an example of an area of provision where there are 12 students and on the basis of the learning analytics analysis, they have a 65.7% chance as a cohort of all achieving the qualification this year. So the intervention might be, for example, accessing the wellbeing hub. Now, 
A side effect of this is what I'm hoping to achieve is robust analysis for business cases. So you have action research and evidence that the efficacy of an individual intervention is X percent, and you can evidence that. So the business case is actually this pot of funding is allocated for A, I can evidence that actually could we please redirect it for B because it improves student outcomes. So in a nutshell, and and to some people, I understand why some people find it a very difficult um, conversation to have without falling asleep. I'm very aware of that. But um, I, I ended up, I will share with you, I have shared with my three supervisors um, at Edinburgh Open, who are wonderful and very robust, which is how I like things. I ended up with 1,805 spreadsheets to analyse. I like a spreadsheet. Uh, clearly. And, I, <laughs> and I'm just thinking, these are not nutshells. You keep saying in a nutshell. <laughs> Apologies. I, I think you need a different metaphor. <laughs> anyway, I was just interjecting. Carry on. So... So I'm at the stage now where I have, and I'm quite happy to share this, I'm naturally an introvert, but as a teacher previously, I was able to don my teaching mask and I'm a chartered psychologist by trade and I I keep my chartership going um, because I I am a, a huge advocate of the British Psychological Society and I'm old enough now to also be an associate fellow of the British Psychological Society I think you have to do 20 years and then you anyway enough of that um but the the um the networking aspect and expectation of some PhDs I I can only speak from experience I was quite taken aback by the um, requirement not particularly for the continued professional development and actually um, I've logged that and it's and reflected and, and tracked the learning points so it's really in conjunction with my reflective journal very um, very informative actually and I can sort of reflect on it and say crikey you, you have actually done quite a lot there you know <laughs> Kerry and, and you can sort of it ma- maps the journey out but the networking side and the public engagement side was something I've really had to push myself to do because I think I sound rather foolish when trying to make small talk. I'll just summarise like that. So I feel quite uncomfortable. Um, lockdown, I don't want to talk about that too much. We, we were all in the same boat. But it actually from the another perspective offered me an opportunity that I hadn't had before and that was to network remotely on Twitter with people on LinkedIn and and focus and I'd always found Twitter quite noisy um, when I joined in 2019 but when I went back to it because I was I decided to use it as a networking tool as part of my research I discovered people like your good selves on there and it has inspired me in ways I I never I didn't anticipate. Um, and so I, you know, I, I'm not advertising social media or advocating that it's great for everybody. I'm 
there are lots of differing opinions. But from my point of view and a PhD point of view and a research point of view and joining up different groups of people and maintaining relationships with um, two specific research colleague forums, um, it's been invaluable. We've often said this. It's incredible. We've we've done many kind of uh, get-togethers and meets and, and conferences, and you can do two or three of them in in one day, and they can be from all different parts of the country and be together, and then continue the discussions through through Twitter or LinkedIn. So those are huge tools, and um, I think quite important for a community aspect to that mm-hmm. as well. Um, absolutely. And um, so as part of that, have you? Have you been able to share much of of your findings and your work through that process? I'm just about to do that, Alistair. Um, And in fact, being uh, talking to you today is the first in a series of four uh, discussions I'll be having with uh, different bodies uh, that I've timetabled in to make myself have this sort of discussion with folk. So I'm my next presentation is with the College Development Network as part of the um, Research and Enhancement Centre Advisory Group. So I'll be sharing the, a summary of my findings, and I've been invited to do that um, late in a, in a couple of months' time, sharing that with sector colleagues for the first time that in a formal setting. Then talking specifically about learning analytics and the esports qualification for the players that we've just written and published with the Scottish Credit and Qualification Framework Partnership uh, later in the same month. And then I set up the Edinburgh College Research and Innovation Forum um, in September 2019 solely to talk to like minded. Um, colleagues about my research but what happened was um, something I think we're going to discuss later on so I'll yeah well no I know Joe's got some questions on that but but kind of finally really um, because you've had a lot to go through there and and 1800 plus spreadsheets and things Um, any survival tips for anyone else doing their, their research project short survival tip absolutely when the things I've learned that you have to be very robust in terms of accepting, deleting large swathes of your work. That was something that I will admit I, A, hadn't anticipated and B, struggled with at first. So having having done um, uh, an MSc, years ago in applied forensic psychology because I I have a um a prison service training and, mm-hmm. and second career background so to speak that's where I started and then my MED in leadership management and inclusivity in education I had carried out and and achieved those qualifications and barely ever had to rip whole swathes of it them up and so my experience was you write it you put it away you revise it and then you submit it I am quite happy to share that on my methods and design chapter 
I got to version 12. And that's, well, not, that's not full rewrites. That's, that's a two-pronged thing. The first being that if you have a really good supervision team, which I have, and I have three supervisors so that I, because I realised I was going to do it fairly quickly, I do it evenings and weekends, but I, I timetable 22 hours each week. So I have three supervisors so that uh, they they push me hard and, and I gave them permission to do that. So I, I might write it myself two or three versions before I show it to them for their collective feedback. But, but they did explain to me very early on, you may, it's the process is to write it, reflect on it, and then you may have to discard it. So you need a really good filing system, but keep all of the old versions. So what I do, a tip is right from the start, do three things. Start your reflective journal and commit to writing at least one entry every single month so that mm -hmm. you can remember and reflect. The second is make sure whichever filing system you use is both secure and systematic and you you absolutely commit to making sure that you file everything either on a dated weekly or monthly basis so you can find it again. And the third thing is it will be okay. There are difficult times when the writing feels as though you're not going anywhere, but then all of a sudden you will have an epiphany and something will click and then you can see the thread and it makes it an awful lot easier for a while. Oh, yeah. Do you know, I had one of those last week. But while you were talking, Kerry, I really wish I'd screenshotted Joe's responses and reactions <laughs> to you saying those things. <laughs> I think they're all really familiar. Um, there's a bit of an in-joke, which only the, the, the people at, at Sunset in Sunderland will, will know about, or the mm -hmm. select ones anyway. Um, from my own writing adventures, maybe after a couple of beers um, and having to rewrite the following morning. But, you know, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, it, it's a big part of that, you know, the throwing mm -hmm. away. Absolutely. Anyway, I'll pass over to Jo because I know she wants to ask you about some of the other projects you're involved in. I, I think I'm going to share with uh, the listeners that 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 little particular incident. So um, on a study residential, rather late at night, uh, Alistair decided to tackle a section of his methodology chapter and what he sent to me, I can, <laughs> I can only describe as probably more fitting as a kind of, hmm, I don't know, almost sci-fi film script, maybe. It, it was fascinating, but I, I'm not sure it, it was fit to be submitted anywhere, really. Anyway, <laughs> he, he did rewrite Thank you it. for that, Jane. <laughs> he did rewrite it. I've kept it, though. I've kept it. Uh, right, okay. So I'm going to move on to look at sort of broader sector stuff, really. Mm -hmm. um, uh, my, my, my focus is about building teacher researcher communities in, in colleges mm -hmm. and so on. So you know, what, to what degree would you say leaders and teachers across colleges in Scotland are, um, you know, really engaging with, with research as active researchers themselves or engaging with other people's research to inform their pedagogy? So there are, across the sector, um, planned, Joe, for the, the next sort of 12-month period, I have identified four um, key action research projects which fall under the remit of the College Development Network uh, Advisory Group. 
And they're around high impact learning in the classroom, uh, institutional approaches to curriculum design, professional learning, and student experience, which is you know fairly, fairly broad. But one of the things we do a lot of work with schools currently, um, specifically my team, the creative and critical thinking qualifications we wrote at level five and six in Scotland, so level two and three in England and Wales, the schools pilot with 13 schools and all the teachers, that's a piece of action research in itself. We're going to evaluate the pilot at the end of this academic session um, and we've put parameters in place and checks and balances um, and periodic um, joint moderation meetings so that we can relay our findings across the sector. But one of the really fantastic outcomes uh, right across the college and school sector right now for me is the steer and move towards project-based learning, teaching and assessment, which the student feedback is almost exclusively positive. Right. Okay. So, but on an individual teacher or lecturer mm-hmm. level, um, what, what proportion of your colleagues then in the college would be actively involved in, in some kind of research? So that's a, that's a really interesting question. And one of the reasons that the college decided to set up the Edinburgh College Research Unit, because the answer was, we didn't know. Mm. So we've set up the research unit um, in order to capture that. So the, it comprises six elements and it's we've been working on it for about two years now. And I would say as an estimate, uh, at any one time, around 10% of the, and actually it's not just the lecturers, it's all staff, mm, okay. around 10% of the staff are working on some form of research or are involved in research in some capacity. Right. Um, and is and is that, um, does that include somebody who independently might be like yourself engaged in a PhD as well as something specifically in work, a project in work? It's yes. everybody. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. That's everyone. Okay. My, I've self-funded my PhD um, purely from the perspective that I wanted it to be apolitical Mm. Um, and the you know and the the college and the executive team being very generous and totally supported me but I thought it was important and and I know because I've spoken to colleagues others feel um, similar things about wanting to keep the two things separate yeah yeah and yet you've you've built an infrastructure that is still acknowledging that and supporting that absolutely and so so you formed the unit and then this unit has forums so innovation forums Mm -hmm. tell me about those so in september uh, 2019 i decided to set up the edinburgh college uh, it was called research forum the first the first monthly twilight gathering Mm-hmm. So who would like to come and let me bore them with my research? Because I don't really have anyone to talk um, about it to. 
on a regular basis aside from my supervision team. And I try to never impose myself on folk. So this was a physical uh, gathering in the wonderful Learning Resource Centre at Granton Campus at Edinburgh College. And I was absolutely delighted to have 23 attendees in that physical space for the first one. I provided like refreshments because it was important to me that it was a twilight monthly event so that people could relax. They knew they wouldn't get called away into to do other things necessarily. Their phone had less chance of ringing, etc. So light refreshments were provided. It was a very upbeat atmosphere. I spoke about my research at the first one, and I can hand on heart say that it's happened every month since then, bar two Decembers. And I have never had to speak about my research for any more than five minutes at the two-hour event because all of a sudden colleagues said, I'm doing this, can I come and talk about it? Mm. And I wanted um, to make it more inclusive. So I extended the title to be the Research and Improvement Project Forum. I did a bit of an analysis nine months in. And it was 58% curriculum colleagues and 42% support service colleagues. So it was almost a 50-50 split. There are regular teams that contribute. We moved online in March 2020. And we will actually remain online now because what happened then, Mm. we have started, when I started networking, as I said previously, I started inviting other colleagues, external colleagues, to come and talk. And I'm really happy to say it's got a bit of a reputation now. It's supportive. People can try ideas out, do that fail and fix creative thinking thing across all areas. Yeah. And we don't record it so that nobody feels any pressure at all, really. Yeah. so it's a wonderful thing. So, mm, okay. We, the downside there, though, Kerry, no snacks. I mean, that's, you know. Indeed. Virt- virtual <laughs> volivants, I yes. call them. But, so it's, yeah, it, it, yeah, that is the, the physical presence. So you're quite right. So in order to um, sort of atone for that, I am planning later this year to have a, a, a larger scale event at Granton Hub, which lends itself as a physical space to to be nice, bright, airy and be able to accommodate quite a few people safely, have an in-person event to celebrate the third anniversary in September 2022 is the plan. Right. Great stuff. Um, So in terms of, so so there's a real momentum then, it sounds like, in terms of um, FE, and research in Scotland. Um, how, how does that connect with what might go on with school teachers and then university lecturers? If you're, so, I don't know, do you see yourselves as in between those two or alongside? Well, I think so. The, the Edinburgh College Research Unit, I see the Research and Innovation Forum as the engine room of the Edinburgh College Research Unit. So In the context of the whole of the education sector, the research unit 
has got another five elements apart from the research and innovation forum. So we've got the senior management team research and ethics group is the sort of second component. And we're just about to run a pilot in the college with the uh, HND music business students. All right. With some degree students, a um, small group of degree students. And we need the first sort of task is to block release the research project module. So we're going to set up an internal ethics panel um, with the support of the external university awarding organisation and bring the research and ethics integrity committee in-house. So that's happening as we speak. So we're going to set up at the college our own research and ethics group. Then the third element um, is a student and staff scholarship program. Mm. Okay. So that will do what it says. It will be, um, it will attract funding from sponsors, etc. We've got some wonderful board members who are involved in, in starting to develop that. So that's the third element. The fourth element, we want to look at and identify and place staff and students um research placements so that staff and students and i have to say that students are also welcome at the research and innovation forum that that is one of the terms of reference i put in place uh, the students in this it almost goes without saying they they are involved at every stage then the fifth element is focusing on the quality and improvement of educational approaches so specifically something you sound like you might be interested in, Joe, is that it focuses specifically on that because, after all, all three elements of the educational sector are in the business of providing excellent quality learning, teaching and assessment. So that's a section in its own right. And then the sixth and final element are the national links. So national links with CAN, with College Development Network, with partner universities, with Colleges Scotland um, and, and other bodies. So that's the sixth element. So we're focusing on those uh, as part of the strategy. Right. Okay. Well, look, um, we're, we're going to round, round things off uh, by asking you um, a final question. You're clearly a woman who loves spreadsheets. You love elements of things, multiple elements, in fact. You love structure, you love nutshells. But if I was to give you a big pot of money, you know, I mean, it's an endless pot of money. What, in terms of the world of FE research, would you be throwing that money at? I think that I would throw the money at research involving the increased inclusivity of the research programs themselves so removing the fear for people who don't consider themselves to be academic Mm, that's one of the other things that I've learned you don't necessarily have to be academic to engage with and be successful at completing a PhD if you are passionate about what you are researching and 
listen to the advice and take the advice that you were given. So I think my dream would be to open up a research unit into inclusive research activity. It's another unit. You can't help yourself, can you? <laughs> <laughs> oh, Thank you so much, Kerry. It's been an absolute delight to have you on the podcast and really um, inspiring, really, to hear, you know, the stuff that you're leading up there, up there, all the way up there in the north in, in Scotland. So thank you so much for joining us. Thank you very much for inviting me. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you very much. You have been listening to the FE Research Podcast, a Sheep Hill Studio production. Thanks for listening and we hope you can join us again soon.